On a similarly hot summer day, I remember as a kid running after the ice cream truck man, and I purchased a fudgesicle, ran back home, unwrapped it, put it in my mouth, and went, oh, oh. So then I turned to my dad and I said, taste this. And he tasted it. And we realized that, at least for part of the recipe, somebody had used salt instead of sugar. And it tasted horrible. Which puts us into the mind of, if your basic premise is wrong, your end product will be lacking. If we think the white substance is sugar, but it is in actuality salt, as good as the end product may look, It'll be way off from what it was intended to be, and it won't be good for anything. I think that's kind of what the gospel is getting at today. People's basic assumption of who Jesus was, was wrong. And if the basic assumption is wrong, the end point of their belief is going to be incorrect. So Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist. And they were wrong. Others say Elijah. And they were wrong. Still others said one of the ancient prophets has come back. And they were wrong. And if they persisted in that belief, not only would they miss out on who Jesus actually is, the resulting faith that they had would be incorrect. John the Baptist is not the Son of God, nor did he claim to be. He did not resurrect from the dead and save us from our sins, and he did not leave his body and blood for us. Then Jesus asked his disciples, so who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter says, speaking on behalf of the entire church, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That is why Jesus built his church, on the rock-solid foundation of Peter. Why he has the name Peter. Not because Peter was perfect. Peter was anything but perfect. But his basic, basic premise of who Jesus was was correct. And now on that foundation, Jesus could build something, something true. And the same thing could be said about us. We could ask ourselves that, that same question. Do we know on a basic level foundational level of who we are meant to be. Because if we do not know that, we can end up in all kinds of weird places. Few roles are under attack more today than the role of the father. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about biological fathers or role models, and that you are told to say nothing about it but just to take it. And if we do that, that is wrong. Because by doing so, we are teaching our sons that fathers are not that important or that good at it, for that matter, and they're going to grow up and fulfill those prophecies. Movies, sitcoms, cartoons, books, even commercials portray fathers, when they are present at all, as bumbling or distant, out of step, clueless, and largely unnecessary. There was a lady walking out of Mass yesterday, and she's a principal of a a preschool, and she says, I wouldn't even read to our kids out of the Berenstain Bear books because the father always looks like such an idiot. 
Somebody sent me an article about Disney movies this past week. Every 3.24 minutes, a dad acts like a buffoon. That's the conclusion of a, of a small study done by a student at Brigham Young University after watching eight hours of the two most popular Disney twin shows featuring families. Tween shows, sorry. Another 2001 study by Eric Scherer in the Journal of Broadcasting and Electronic Media found that the number of times a mother told a joke at the father's expense increased from 1.8 times per episode in the 1950s to 4.29 times in the episodes in 1990s. But what is interesting about the new research is that the author, Savannah Keenan, also looked at the reaction of the children to their fathers when they uh, were acting this way. At least half of the time, children acted negatively to these displays, rolling their eyes, making fun of the father, criticizing him, and walking away while he's still talking or otherwise expressing his annoyance. If you're going to buy into that principle of fatherhood, the end product is going to be pathetic. And the person who is going to be most hurt by this is his children. The first step in rectifying this is not fixing the symptoms. It is by re-examining what our basic principle is of what it is to be a father and making sure that those are correct. And the first step, men, is remembering that you are a son of your heavenly father. We had a men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how they felt that there was starting to be a downplaying of the role of men as fathers and husbands in today's society. I really don't think that's the case anymore. I think that time has passed. I think that we've moved beyond that problem. Where we are moving to now is a time when we want to downplay gender altogether, getting rid of properly expressed roles of femininity and masculinity. We are told that we are made in the image and likeness of God and that there is an essential part of men that reflect God in a unique and special way. So it is important for you to embrace being a man and expressing masculinity in healthy ways. Male and female, he made them. Be your part of the equation. And it's true not every man has a good example of fatherhood himself. That makes it more difficult and puts you at a disadvantage. But it is not a permanently debilitating wound. If you want to be a good father, first be a good son of your heavenly father. There's no way around this one. Now, what do you do with your heavenly father? You do the same thing with your heavenly father that you hope your children would do with you. Spend time with him. More importantly, waste time with him. Learn from him. Talk with him. For some reason, we call it prayer. It's just a conversation, talking with your father. Listen to him. Be an obedient son. Ask for forgiveness when it is needed. Consult when you are confused. Ask for help when it is needed. Thank him on Father's Day. Love him. And learn what it is to be a man and a father from him. Secondly, love your child's mother. If you, are dis if you are divorced, respect her to your children. If you are a father figure, 
Respect the parents' role. Lead by example. You know, my own father did his best. He was not perfect by a long shot, and I know neither am I. But he did have a sign in his bedroom, and it was one of the best things he could have done for me. It read, The best gift a father can give to his children is that they love their mother. The best gift a father can give to his children is that he loves their mother. Divorces are far more likely to happen in marriages of children whose parents were divorced because that is what they are taught. It is how they understand the world and relationships. At baptism, a prayer is said over the father with his wife. He is to be the first teacher of his child in the ways of the faith. May he also be the best of teachers by what he says and does through Christ our Lord. Because this is the way he sets up the family life of the next generation of his family. How he will lead by example what it is to love will teach his children how to form lasting relationships. Lastly, a father must love his children. I'm not talking about having good feelings about them. He must recognize that his children are entrusted to him by God the same way Jesus entrusted to Mary and, or God entrusted to Mary and Joseph Jesus, his son. And as Mary and Joseph cared for Jesus, parents are entrusted with these souls for their ultimate aim and goal. And it's not just about getting into the best school. It's not about making him and forming your children to be the best basketball player. And it's not about badgering them into a better paying job, all of which might need to be done. But the ultimate aim and goal is to direct your child toward that ultimate goal for which we were made, to get into heaven. So fathers, teach your children to pray and then pray with them. Lead the prayer of the family, at least before meals. Lead the family to Mass. Teach children faith by example. Pray for the family. Guide the family. You know, my own dad didn't return to any kind of practice of the faith until he was very near his deathbed. And it was not important to him, and in many ways, it wasn't important to me. But two relationships changed that. One, I've told you uh, a number of times before, it was an anonymous relationship. He doesn't even know it. But I remember going to communion at my home parish as a little kid and walking back to my pew and seeing this guy that I respected kneeling after he had received communion and praying, or at least seeming to pray fervently with his hand and his, fa- his face in his hands and just his head down and seemed to be deep in, in, in thought and prayer. And I remember it clicking in my brain that day that, wow, this is important to men, too. The other one was my home pastor, Father Joseph Ozimek. I took my confirmation name after him. He was a sports-minded guy. He was very gregarious. He somewhat took me under his wing, taught me things, put me in charge of things. And he took his faith very seriously. And through him, I started taking my faith very seriously. This is the type of father we need today. And if you are this type of dad, keep praying that you stay on course. If you have wandered far in the wrong direction from this path, turn around and start walking back. You may still be far, far away, but at least you're going in the right direction now. You won't get any further away. If you don't have a biological child, spiritually adopt one. Set the example. Give encouragement as well as courage. 
And for all the men who are here, simply here today, thank you and God bless you. I'd like to offer up a prayer for all of our fathers, if you would join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, in your wisdom and love, you made all things. Bless our fathers, those who are living, those who are dead, and those who love us as a father. Let the example of their faith and love shine forth. Grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen.